Good morning, friends. Welcome to the second week of Advent. If you've never been around Calvary before, we participate in this historical church season in which we prepare our hearts for Christmas. Advent means arrival. And so what the people of God are doing with the four weeks prior to Christmas is preparing ourselves to remember the arrival of God's promised rescuer. And as we look back at how he fulfilled that first coming in his arrival, we look forward to him fulfilling his second coming, that Jesus Christ again will come in glory and in justice to restore all things. And when we think of the Advent season, some of you guys think about, oh, these are the candles or maybe the the wreath that comes around it. Uh, Maybe there's a Christmas tree you think of when you think of Christmas. Maybe it's the stockings. Maybe it's the elf on the shelf. Maybe it's the jolly old man. Here's a picture of Christmas I want, to have, I want you to have in your mind is what comes to mind when you see this? This is Christmas. What do you think about when you see this picture? Do you think Christmas? Or do you think wasteland? Like that looks like death. That looks like something has been destroyed. That looks like it is an unsafe place to be. I would never go and vacation there. I wouldn't try to rest my head there. I wouldn't try to build a home there and settle there and raise my family there. That looks desolate. What do you mean by that's Christmas? Well, we're looking at the story of Christmas in the prophet Isaiah. Years before Jesus was ever on the, on the scene, the prophets were foretelling, God had been foretelling that he was going to send a promised rescuer. If, if you're new to the Christian faith, you have to understand Jesus isn't something altogether new. He is something altogether anticipated, fulfilled, promised. And his arrival comes out of something. And so the prophet Isaiah is talking to the people of God at a time in which Israel looks like this. It's that corrupt leadership has so perverted justice and has never returned to the Lord, no matter how many prophets are sent to her. She remains stubborn, prideful, and arrogant. And God finally says, enough's enough. I will use the Assyrians to begin my judgment. And then I'm gonna bring the Babylonians to complete my judgment of both the Northern and the Southern parts of this kingdom. And I will remove them from the land, leaving their houses desolate and they will live in exile until a day comes when I will do something to bring them back into the land. And so Israel looks like this. And there's a day in which the prophets are talking to the people of God saying, it's even gonna get worse. Not only will your lands look like this, but all the lands are gonna look like this. And it seems hopeless. And the reason it seems hopeless is because the people of God are wondering, did the promises of God fail? Like God has has called us his covenant people and has made promises to us. See, God is a covenant making God. A covenant is more than a contract. A contract is if you do this end of your bargain and I do this end of the bargain, then this will work out. But a covenant is like marriage vows. Is This is my promise to you, whether you uphold your end of the bargain or not. I will remain faithful. 
whether you're faithful or faithless. And so God is a covenant-making God. And, and when we open the scriptures, we see these epochs of time in which God is making covenants with humanity. It begins in the very first pages of Genesis that God makes a covenant with Adam and Eve, with humanity itself. That he will be their God, that, he will, that they, will, they will dwell in his presence and they will have offspring and they will be fruitful and they will multiply and they'll fill the earth and they're gonna be like kingdoms of priests who oversee the garden and draw out its nutrients and they will be blessed to be a blessing to the earth. And even in their failure, God remains faithful to them. He doesn't just destroy humanity. He reveals the plan that he has had in place, that the seed of Eve, that an offspring will come, a promised rescuer. And you see the Bible just narrows it down more and more of who is this promised rescuer to draw us out of our state of being in sin and death. And, and so you see God makes another promise with a man named Noah and his family. And what was said in Genesis 1 is now repeated with Noah, that they can be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then one of those families by the name of Abram and Sarai, Abraham and Sarah, he makes another covenant. With this family, you will be a covenant people. Israel comes out of the family of Abraham. And I will bless you that you would be a blessing and Messiah will come through your family line. And one of those sons is a Davidic son. His father is a man named Jesse. And Samuel the prophet goes to the household of Jesse to select God's chosen king of Israel, his son, David. And with David, God makes a covenant promise that they will always have someone from his line as a king over the nation. That there will always be established a throne from the family of David. That covenant promise comes from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. When God says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, when you die, David, I will rise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, forever. Like it'll always be established. But this is how Israel looks. And so you're walking the paths through these stumps of God cutting down Israel. And now from chapter 10, he says he's gonna cut down Assyria. These tall, proud trees, the taller they are, the more pride that's in them. And God's had enough with Assyria. He's gonna cut them down. And so the land just looks desolate everywhere. There was war in Israel. Now there's war in Assyria. There's gonna be war in Babylon. Does war ever end? It just brings more and more death. And so let's go back to our scene. You're there walking amongst the destruction. And it's hopeless. It's like, there's no life here. There's no kingdom here. I don't see a king sitting on the throne of David from the household of Jesse. Has God failed? Has he abandoned us? Is there anything in this moment to turn our attention to and believe that there will be a new day, that there'll be new life, that things will be different? And Isaiah 11 opens up with this picture. As you walk through the stumps, you notice out of one stump, there's new life coming. There's this shoot. 
what looked like total death and destruction everywhere in your land and in the foreign lands, new life is happening. It looks like God is doing something altogether new that's gonna have some effects, not only for Israel, but for the other nations, in fact, for the whole world. So this is Isaiah 11. In the midst of all this disaster, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, from the household of Jesse. That's the father of David. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. That's new life. A new life will come one day when God does a work that only God can do and bring life out of these dead stumps. And so we're gonna look at what kind of ruler will this be? You're anticipating a king in the line of David to sit on the throne of David to rule over Israel. And, we, and we're always interested in what kind of rulers rule over us because what, what typically happens is what they're like, how they rule, that sets the characteristics of the life that all of us live in or live under. And so if they're a good king, a good queen, then we experience that goodness. If they're a corrupt king, perverting justice, doing wickedness, then, then we live in the ethos of that culture. And so what kind of branch, what kind of fruit does this king bring? Let's look at it. Verse two, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. So this king is a king of wisdom, of good counsel, of righteousness that comes from being anointed by the spirit of God himself. And this is a work that only God can do. It's not some new ruler that has the most strength, that finally has the most impressive pedigree. It is the work of God. The spirit of God will be on him. The spirit of God will be doing this new work. The spirit of God will be bringing this new life. The spirit of God will be, doing, will be producing this new fruit. And these are the characteristics of good godly kings, that they're wise, they have good counsel and understanding their might comes from their knowledge and fear of God. Those are characteristics of, of good, right leaders. And that's exactly characteristic of this shoot, this offspring from the household of David. Verse three, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but the righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, the belt of his loins. Like this king, this offshoot that comes from the stump of Jesse, the household of Jesse, to sit on the throne of David will be a righteous ruler. He won't be deceived by what he sees or hears. He won't be deceived by the complaints that come to him and he has to kind of weigh, well, who's more popular? Who looks better? How does this case work? No, he'll, he'll be able to discern the intentions of the heart. He'll be able to rule justly and rightly, perfectly. That's what equity means. It's for the poor and for the humble, for the highest class and the lowest class, perfect justice will be executed. 
No one gets away with evil and wickedness. In fact, he'll destroy all wickedness. And how will he do it? He says he'll destroy it by the rod of his mouth. What's the rod of his mouth? That's the, the words. It's the word of God. The words coming out of his mouth. How will he destroy wickedness? He's gonna do it by truth. He'll bring truth in his rulership that will destroy what's evil and wicked. And so his whole, his whole kingdom is characterized by these belts, this belt of righteousness that upholds his whole kingdom. And so he's spirit-filled, means only God's gonna be able to do this work. And he's gonna be a righteous ruler that brings right justice and equity for all people, those who are poor and meek, the highest, the lowest class, because he'll discern what's happening from the interior of people's lives, not just simply what he hears and what he sees. And because of this sort of leadership, because of this sort of purity, the world is changed. And so Isaiah has this picture of when this ruler executes his kingdom, when people live in this kind of kingdom, this is a picture of what life looks like under this branch. Verse nine, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. Like this kingdom produces so much life and peace and equity. There's no fear of predators. There's no fear that you're gonna be preyed on by another, that you could be devoured by someone who's stronger than you. In fact, there's a reordering here of all creation in which the animal kingdom is at peace with one another and with the children themselves. All the, all the kids in the room that wish that, I just wanna go cuddle up to that lion that I see at the Denver Zoo. He says, well, that's, that's characteristic of what life looks like under this king. Under this king, that's what this life looks like. Verse seven, the cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra, of a snake. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. That's in the serpent's hole. This is, this is a picture of a restored Eden in which humanity, Adam and Eve, are at perfect peace with God's creation. And the children of God are not even afraid of the serpents. That's how much justice that God has executed everywhere. It's like a brand new way of life everywhere, impacting everything comes under as a result of this king ruling. Verse nine, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Like no destruction. Verse, second part of that verse, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The consequence of his rulership and the word of God going out and destroying evil is that the word of God, the truth of God is known everywhere in the land. And because the truth of God is known everywhere, the peace of God is experienced everywhere. So we could draw from that. What is the root issue in our world today? Because that's not the picture of our world today, the lion and the lamb and the children and the serpents. What is the root issue in our world today? What's the root issue in my life today is the lack of knowledge of the Lord. 
The reason the world is in such chaos today is because the world lacks the knowledge of who God is, who God says we are, and how we live in response to those truths. And so the world being filled with the knowledge of God, like the waters cover the earth, is like everyone on the planet now knows who God is, know who we are, and how we live in response to those truths. And knowing God's ways brings this sort of peace. Removes destruction, produces a newness of life everywhere. Verse 10, in that day, when God does this, in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. So this branch out of the stump of Jesse is now this branch from the root of Jesse. You see that in verse one is, is from the stump and here we see it from the root, meaning that this, this ruler is such a unique ruler. It comes from the family of Jesse, from the Davidic line, but it also comes from the root before Jesse. It's what upholds Jesse and comes from Jesse. It existed before Jesse, it exists after Jesse. This is a unique kind of ruler that is before and after the Davidic ruler from the line of of Jesse. And so he shall stand as a signal for people, like a big banner. His name will be on this banner and it says the nations, not just Israel, but all the Gentiles, the people outside the family of God, all the nations are gonna see this banner with his name on it and they're gonna go inquire of who this rescuer is. The world's gonna come to him. And it says, and his resting place shall be glorious. When, When the Bible speaks of, of God's resting place. He talks about his dwelling place. On the seventh day, God rested from his work. It means he was exhausted. It means that he filled it. He dwelt in it. When the Ark of the Covenant comes into the temple or the, the Shekinah glory comes on the temple, it's his resting place, it says, that God's filling and dwelling with his people. And so just imagine how great this resting place will be. It's gonna be glorious. The newness of life will be experienced everywhere not just in the household of Israel, but in all the nations, in all the cosmos, in this promised Christ. It's the word for Messiah. This promised Christ, this this offshoot from the family of Jesse, from the household of David, is going to be the king the world is longing for. And so Isaiah 11 speaks of a work that only God can do that's community-oriented, It's gathering people together. God is a gathering God. He wants those who are scattered to be gathered to him. This is a cosmic work. It's not just for the people of Israel. It's for all the world. It's a completely new order, a new creation in all the the cosmos. And it's Christ-centered that this Christ, this offshoot from the family of Jesse will come. So imagine your life is just totally destroyed, destruction everywhere, You're not experiencing the the fullness of this in any way. Rome is occupying your country, has soldiers on the streets. You really have no king. You have a perverted king that's just there as as a puppet of Rome. And you're wondering, is God still the God who fulfills promises? Because if he's not the God who fulfills promises, then I don't want to hope in him. I don't want to trust him. Will he ever do anything to bring about this promised king that we've heard about from the prophets like Isaiah? 
So now go to the gospel of Luke. Luke is the gospel that gives the eyewitness accounts of, of all that Jesus had said and done and the people around him experienced the life of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. And, and in Luke, there's this birth announcement. It's like the people are dwelling amongst all of these stumps. And the angels come. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 32. I'll actually read verse 31, even though it starts in 32 behind me. The angel says, Behold, to Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Verse 32. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, the household of Jesse. Then he will reign over the house of Jacob, that's the family of God, forever in his kingdom. There will be no end. See, the birth of Jesus is like walking through this land of desolation and finding this shoot. There it is. God is faithful. Just as he promised, he's doing for us. The king is here and his kingdom will never end. The kingdom is beginning now and it's going to change everything. And this banner is going to be lifted high and the nations of the world are going to come and inquire of him. And who do we see coming to inquire of Jesus? Magi? People of the East? Outside the family of God? We've seen his banner in the heavens and we have come to see the newborn king. Where is he? What does Jesus do in his ministry? He just gathers. I'm trying to gather the people of God. He's the one in Luke 13. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long I've desired to gather you together. Like a mother head gathers her chicks under her wings. But you're not willing. You refuse me. You reject me. I'm trying to gather the people together, this is, I'm the king, the promised one, the shoot of Jesse. I'm here to gather the people of God to the new thing that I'm doing. But you're not willing. He's gonna be spirit-filled. How does, Mary asks, how's this gonna happen? The spirit of the living God's gonna come on you. That's his birth, that's his baptism. He comes out of the waters and what do we see? There's the spirit of God recognizing him as the son of God. He is the spirit-anointed one who rules in what? Righteousness. And how does he judge? The entire time we're watching Jesus, how does he judge? By what he sees and hears or what's on the inside of people's hearts? It's on the interior. He brings his justice and equity for all. And the kingdom is like a small shoot beginning in which grows up like a big tree and hosts the nations of the world and that's what is happening and going to happen at his second coming. That's what we're, we're waiting for that fullness, the arrival in which right now is the season of gathering. Anyone who wants in, come get in. The king has, has come. He's gathering all of his children. Are you, are you his child? Then come on. Are you his child? Come on. You want, you want in? Come to the family of God. Come on. Come on. He's gathering right now. And then he will destroy all wickedness with the word of his mouth the sword coming out of his mouth, with the rod coming out of his mouth. He's gonna strike the earth and destroy all wickedness and bring in his new kingdom. 
which is characterized by peace and justice and joy. And all of that is for us. All that's for us. See, the New Testament authors pick up on this and want us to know that if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's, it's to our benefit. We get to experience part of that kingdom now as we wait for it to be fully realized. So the apostle Paul, this is Romans chapter 15, picks up on our text from Isaiah 11 and the work of Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus isn't something new. He's something anticipated. He's something fulfilled. He's something promised. And so this is Romans 15, we'll start in verse eight. Paul says, for I tell you that Christ Jesus became a servant to the circumcised. That's the title for Israel. He served Israel. Why did he do that? To show God's truthfulness, his faithfulness, that he promised it and it's happened. You can trust him. Even if it looks like your life is desolate, God is working. He's faithful. He's doing this to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So the father's before us. God promised. And he's, he's showing his truthfulness that he's going to do all the things that he said he was going to do. And in order that the Gentiles, as the nations, might glorify God for his mercy. He's good to us as well. We're going to glorify him for that. We're incorporated with him in that. As is written, therefore, I will praise you amongst the Gentiles and sing to your name. Verse 12, and again, Isaiah says, here it is, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Jesus is the root of Jesse. He's the shoot from the stump of Jesse, the promised king of David, in whose, in whose kingdom will never end. And then, and then, I'll let Paul just says, if you believe this, if that's what you're trusting in, I mean, let me tell you about the God who you're trusting in and what he gives you. Verse 12, may the God of hope, he's the God of hope. We trust in a God who is characterized by hope. The God of hope fill you. You trust in this God of hope that will produce an offshoot in the midst of desolation? You trust in him? That's the God of hope. I'll bring a new day in the midst of death. That's, a, that's the God of hope and he will fill you. Maybe you need this today. He will fill your life with joy and peace in believing. Like you trust this kind of God who's never failed on a single promise. But he's gonna fill your life. If your life looks like that picture, he'll fill your life with joy and peace and hope. Those are characteristics of the Advent season, are they not? That we turn our eyes to Jesus, the fulfillment of God's promises, the shoot of the stump of Jesse and say, oh man, God is truthful. He is faithful. He is able. And what that produces in me is joy and peace and hope. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that anointed on Jesus' life, the same spirit that recognized him as baptism, that same spirit that dwells in you, the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. The God of hope loves to give hope. And maybe you need hope today. And part of the, the way that we, we well up in hope is we see God as faithful to his promises. So no matter where we are today, no matter what we're experiencing today, we know that he's the God 
that never fails. He never fails. And even if your life looks totally ruined, if we turn to him, he can produce new life. Now, Isaiah picks up also on this motif of exile that the people of God are dwelling in, in slavery and then God draws them out into a place of promise. And in the exile, Moses sang a song of worship to the work of God. Right after chapter 11 in Isaiah, this will blow your mind, comes chapter 12. And in chapter 12 is the song of the people. All of those who have received salvation and they just go back, oh my God, I can't believe God, you did it. And you did it for me. And I belong to you now and forever. And I will exist forever because your kingdom exists forever. How glorious will be your dwelling with us forever. And so what I wanna do as we conclude this part of our service and move into communion is actually say these words together as a congregational reading. So would you stand with me? I'll read the first part. And then as a congregation, may these words be our words for the Christmas season. May these be our words in response of what God has done to fulfill what he has promised. Chapter 12, verse one begins this. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, be seated. Man, may those words be on our lips when we remember the arrival of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. We give glory to God. He has brought us salvation. He has comforted us who are afflicted. We call upon his name. He is our salvation. Now, it's not his birth that purchases salvation. It's his death. And so in in one breath, we remember his arrival, but the arrival is that his salvation has come through his death. He was the one born to die. And at his death at Calvary is where he paid for our sins. It's where he shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And it's through the resurrection that the new life begins. And so that's why we remember the work of Jesus Christ from his birth and his life, his death and his resurrection here at the Lord's table on our behalf. 